Well, we've been talking about covenants here. And going back to your outline sheet of God's orderly plan, going down to number 5 on page 1. You also notice down at the bottom a covenant called David's Covenant, David's Mercy Covenant. We talked about David when we talked about the seed, didn't we, yesterday? But God decided to formalize this into a legal union, into a legal document, so we would know for sure the reliability of this, of a God who doesn't break his covenant. We saw that we have a new covenant, and God doesn't break that. But God has promised not only to save us, but to rule this world. And that's where David's covenant comes in. And you will see this on page 2 and so on. That we're not only promised to be saved from hell, we shall reign with him. So what is our legal right to reign? It's one thing to say, well, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, his law is in my heart, I'm a child of God. Yes, yes. But what's your legal right to reign with Christ? What's his legal right to reign? The Lord Jesus. And that's where God formalized it into a covenant. And so we want to look at David's covenant. And we're going to do a progressive study on that in our last session. You can read the details where it fits in on your sheet. But just looking at the details of David's covenant, I'm starting you in Isaiah 55 for a reason. And looking at Isaiah 55, if you'll turn there, please. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah, through the Spirit, will say this in verse 1. Isaiah 55 in verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come and buy wine and milk, without money and without price. So you're buying without price. Verse 2. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God blesses the reading of his word, and we'll be reading more later. God makes a promise in verse 3, brothers and sisters, that I will make an everlasting covenant with you. So it would be nice to have a covenant. Well, he says, I'll make one with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Covenant of formal pledge of promises that are binding. Mercies. Sure mercies means absolutely, positively guaranteed. Sure. You know what mercy means? To withhold punishment that you deserve. To hold the punishment you deserve is called mercy. You know, have mercy on me, we say. We deserve it, but please don't give it to me. God is offering an everlasting covenant called the sure mercies of David to whoever wants it. He that is thirsty... I will make an everlasting covenant with you. So what we want to do in this session is look at the sure mercies of David, the everlasting, the covenant to David. I want to do a progressive study on it. God gave it to David, obviously. It started with King David. So let's go to 2 Samuel 7 to begin the sure mercies of David. 2 Samuel 7, an everlasting covenant that he offers to anyone, as we heard, the individual. David is king in Israel, and he has a desire to build a house for God. But God says, I never asked one for one. And so breaking in a dialogue between the Lord and David through his prophet, uh, we're in 2 Samuel 7. We're going to go to verse 11. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 11. And this since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel... And have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. David says, I want to make you a house. God said, well, I really didn't ask for one yet. But he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a house. So, what does David need a house for? He has a beautiful palace. Well, he doesn't mean a physical house. 
He means a royal dynasty, a royal household. I'm going to make you a house. That is a royal dynasty. He'll go on and explain it. You look here at verse uh, 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, or body, and I will establish his kingdom. When you, when you sleep, the next king will be out of your body, David. It's not national elections and who's the greatest or richest. It is whoever has the bloodline. Your son will be the next king. It's, you're going to have a royal dynasty. Uh, verse uh, 13. He shall build an house for my name. That turned out to be Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Davidic throne through Solomon is not just for a few years. It's forever. It will always be somebody as David's seed who has to reign for God, who has to rule for God, in God's kingdom anyway, forever. That's quite a promise. It goes on to say in verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Okay, we're back to chastening that we were talking about. If your son disobeys, I'm going to have to chasten and deal with him. But there's something I'll never do, David, even though I might have to discipline him. Look at verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Remember Saul? He was in a tribe of Benjamin, right? And he sinned. He went into witchcraft and everything else. And he disobeyed God. You know what Saul? He tried to kill David. And God took the whole kingdom away. Jonathan did not become the next king. His sons were in power for two years, and then David took over. Saul's dynasty was over. Saul died. Two years later, the whole thing was gone. No more Benjamin on the throne, because God just removed the whole thing. But now he tells David, I'm not going to do what I did to Saul. Yeah, your sons might do wrong, and I'll have to chasten them. But I'll tell you what, I'll never take my mercy from them. I'll, I'll never give them the punishment they truly deserve. This promise is forever. So they're on, this forever promise is on the grounds of mercy. I'll never take my mercy from him. So we begin the sure mercies of David. A right to rule forever. Well, look at verse 16. And thine house, now speaking of royal household, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, according to all this vision, so did Nathan. Speak unto David. You have a forever throne. It'll be a bloodline. It'll be always a one of your descendants that has the right to rule. Yes, I'll, I'll discipline him, but I'll never remove your dynasty. My mercy will never depart. You'll get the promise. It is forever. David simply believed it. He simply believed it. Look in his worship what he says here in verse 26. Or rather, verse 25. 2 Samuel 7, verse 25 and now, O Lord God, the word that Thou hast spoken concerning Thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as Thou hast said. Forever. Do as You've said. Uh, and David went on to, to rejoice. Look at the last verse, verse 29. Therefore now let it please Thee to bless the house of Thy servant, that it may continue forever before Thee. For Thou, O Lord, hast spoken it. And with Thy blessing let the house of Thy servant be blessed forever. David caught it. It's forever. He was just overwhelmed by it. Yes, I'll deal with sin, but I'll never take my mercy away. Your throne will be established forever. The sure mercies of David. Well, we're going to progress in this. Go to, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. David, before Solomon, the chosen son, was even born, committed adultery with Bathsheba and arranged the murder of Uriah, a faithful soldier. Can you imagine a man after God's own heart doing that? Committed adultery, had a baby through that, and then to cover up the sin, arranged a murder of Uriah. Now, according to Jewish law that David was under, David was a dead man. For under God's law, adultery was capital punishment. Listen to Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man be found lying with a woman that is married to an husband, then both of them shall die, both the man and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. 
adultery, you died for it. David was a dead man. And so what happens to God's promise? Well, sin shortchanged God's promise. Well, adultery shortchanged God's pro promise. The son's not even born yet, and it's to be forever. Well, he's confronted with his sin here. And you look here in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet eventually confronts him with it. And uh, we'll break in here at uh, verse 12. Verse 12. After he said, you're the man that sinned. and uh, Just breaking in at verse 12 of 2 Samuel 12. For thou didst secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the Son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. First time he admitted his sin. He's been exposed. He's been caught. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He took the place of confessing his sin. But he's to be put to death now. But look what Nathan says from God. Verse 13. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. <laughs> the Lord has put away sin. Adultery cannot stop the sure mercies of David. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a throne forever. On what basis? On the basis of mercy. My mercy shall never depart. I'll not give you what you deserve. David under law is a dead man, but he's going to keep going under a new covenant called mercy. The sure mercies of David. However, he will be disciplined. We were talking about this earlier. God's, in his life, there's going to be issues, big issues. Looking at verse uh, 14. Or verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 14. Howbeit, because this deed has given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. A little baby is going to die from him and Bathsheba. And other issues of children dying were going to happen. David was going to be chastened by the Lord, but he never suffered the penalty that the law demanded. Thou shalt surely die. God has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now we start to learn the bigness, the greatness of the covenant of the sure mercies of David that sin does not break the promise. Sin does not break the promise. Even adultery and murder. Time goes on and that son is born. His name is Solomon. And progress with me now in the sure mercies of David to 1 Kings chapter 11, please. 1 Kings 11. First Kings 11. You have a God that always works in the framework of His covenant. Know His covenant, and you'll know God's workings to some degree. I will never break my covenant with you, Judges 2 and verse 1. And so, 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. Verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord had said that to the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. The love of women took them away from the love of God, just like God said it would. It's an amazing figure here in verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. There are things that can turn away our heart from God. And they did. Verse 4. And this man who built the temple of God, this man who had all wisdom, the Queen of Sheba, you come into him. I mean, he was a great king. He brought peace to the earth. But look what happened in his old age. Verse 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart from other gods, after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. In other words, his wives would say to him, honey, come to my church, you know. And so he'd go to their temple and worship. In fact, he did more than that. Verse 5, for Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Now watch verse 7. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. You talk about an ecumenical movement. 
He not only built the house of God, he built temple shrines all over and before Jerusalem. So you could go to the church of your choice, as we say today, the God of your choice. He built pagan idol temples so his wives could worship there. And he went after them. We're talking about gross idolatry here on a national scale, such as the evil of Solomon, who God used greatly in the beginning and built the temple. Well, look at verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which he had appeared unto him twice. God's angry with him. Verse 10. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. He, he wasn't ignorant. He just disobeyed like, you know, Adam did. Looking at verse 11. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. You've done so wicked. I'm going to take this dynasty from you and give it to your servant. The servant would turn out to be a man named Jeroboam. And he's not the seed of David. Not give it to your son. Give it to your servant. Oh, what happens to your promises now, God? We have idolatry. We have a man that loves many women and goes to many false places. What will happen to the sure mercies of David now? And then God has to put on a qualifier because he never breaks his covenant. Yeah, I'll give it to your servant, but notwithstanding, look at verse 12. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rent it out of the hand of thy son. I'm going to wait till your son comes along so it's not so close to David's reign and, you know, his honor. Verse 13. How be it? I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. I can't do away with the whole kingdom. I mean, you're going to lose ten tribes. You're going to become much smaller. But I'm going to give you one more. It turned out to be Benjamin. So you'd have Judah and Benjamin. And you had the kingdom divided in two. The northern part called Israel. The southern part called Judah. Judah is the smallest part with only two of the 12 tribes. But you know why I can't do it? Take it all away, God says. Because of David. I made a promise. And that throne has to keep, you know. They got the most of the land. But you got the temple of God. You got Jerusalem. You got the throne because I made a promise with David. You talk about the sure mercies of David. Adultery doesn't stop it. Idolatry doesn't stop it. And time goes on. And they have sons that come to David's throne. Some are good and some are evil. Progress with me to Second Chronicles 21. Second Chronicles chapter 21, please. One of David's sons, a good one, on the throne dies by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 21. Verse 1. Second Chronicles 21, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. You came to power not because you were a, won the election or were a good man, because you had royal blood in you. So Jehoram comes to the, the, the throne, but he's not a good man. Verse 2. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Micael, and Sephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Now Jehoram had no confidence in God. He sees his brothers. He says, maybe they want the kingdom. So what does he do to secure his throne? He assassinates them. Look at verse 3. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and precious things with fenced cities in Judah. When your father's a king, you know, your birthday gift is a city, you know, and stuff like that. But under Jehoram, look at the end of verse 3. But the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So by firstborn royal blood, Jehoram gets the kingdom. And now he does this in verse 4. Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and divers also to princes of Israel. He just starts killing the royal family so that he would be the only male left there. Huh. Verse 5. Jehoram was 32 years old when he began to reign. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. You say, well, now why would God let an evil man reign eight years? He's an assassin. He needed to have some children, huh? Because he killed the others. So it goes on to say in verse 6, 
And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. And he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now watch verse 7 of Second Chronicles 21. Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, as he promised to give a light to him and his sons forever. The sure mercies of David. Assassination won't stop it. He can't kill this man right away because he made a promise to David. God always keeps his covenant that it will be forever the seed of David is set up on the throne. And so an assassin is allowed to live longer than he should have lived. Well, eventually other kings came to the throne, and one day when the king died, uh, there was a woman who committed treason by the name of Athaliah. She says, these men are too weak, they can't rule the kingdom. And so she would purge the whole house uh, and uh, commit treason. So let's just go to chapter 22 of Second Chronicles. And when her... Uh, son Ahaziah, who was king, died. She didn't put in another son. She put herself in. Verse 10 of Second Chronicles 22. But when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. <laughs> Talk about Satan's workings. A murderer from the beginning. Just wiped out the royal seed. You know, babies and everything. Brings it to an end. At least it appeared so. Verse 11, But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain, and put him and his nurse in a bedchamber. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoadai the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, so that she slew him not. This little baby is hid. Now, notice where she hides him in verse 12. And she was hid with them in the house of the Lord six years, and Athaliah reigned over the land. She put him in the house of God because Athaliah didn't go to the house of God. She was an idol worshiper, so that was kind of a safe place. So there's one little baby, a nursing baby, smuggled out and kept there until he becomes a very young child. And they didn't, all to see that David is gone except one hidden baby that God put in the heart of this nurse who had a bad heritage, or this woman, and uh, hid him in the temple. Well, look, look at now at chapter 23, 2 Chronicles 23. And, and in the seventh year of Jehoiada, that strengthened himself and took the captains of hundreds, Azariah, the son of Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of Jehoanan, Azariah, the son of Obed, and Masiah, the son of Adabdiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri, and the covenant with him. And they went about in Judah and gathered the Levites out of all the cities of Judah and out of all the fathers of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. And all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of God, and they said unto him. Now they find this little king here. Uh, he's seven years old, by the way, when he comes to the throne. So he's a little nursing baby, and he'll be seven years old and set up on the throne. But he's at enough age, at least he can understand. And they find this little boy here, and verse 3, And all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said unto them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. They came out of hiding. You know how Athaliah reacted to it? She called treason, of all things. And she was put to death. And Joash comes to the throne. Look at chapter 24 and verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. I was down to a nursing baby of a few months old. The royal seed is purged. But as the Lord has said to David, the king's son shall reign. Treason can't stop it. You talk about opposition and evil. You talk about the sure mercies of David. And God says, I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. <laughs> what kind? Even the sure mercies of David. You like that? He'll abundantly pardon. This is your God. And this is how he formalized it. Well, this mercy, this faithfulness, eventually made Israel's songbook of his faithfulness with David. In fact, let's go to their songbook, the book of Psalms, number 89, in our progressive study. Psalm number 89. It's in more than one, but I'm just reading one now. Psalm 89 and verse 1. 
I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I'm going to sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. So what are the mercies of the Lord? Well, verse 2. For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness thou shalt establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn with David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah. I made a covenant with David. That's God's faithfulness. That's the mercies of the Lord that nothing will stop it. It's forever. That's become a song, hasn't it? Anybody here can start that song? Let's just sing the verse. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. I will sing Sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my heart will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Amen. And that's based on David. (laughs) That's how they understood him. Go further in chapter 89. And look here at verse 27, Psalm 89 and verse 27. Also, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep him forever, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my statutes, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. David had many bad sons, and God dealt with them, some of those bad kings. But even though God would deal with him, verse 33, Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips, once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. Adultery, idolatry, assassination, treason. Eventually, however, brothers and sisters, you had national apostasy. apostasy. Not only the kings, but all of Israel, led by their kings, went into idolatry. And through Jeremiah, God says, you're going to lose your temple, you're going to lose your children, you're going to go back into slavery into Babylon this time. You're going to lose your nation for a while. National apostasy, just not the king. All the citizens, the majority of them involved. But in the middle of that, I want to take you to a verse now in the prophets. We've already read from Isaiah. You talk about good news. I'll make with you an everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. But something I had you in yesterday, going back briefly to Jeremiah 33, now into the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 33. It's in the context, which you may read on your own, of the destruction of the sword of Jerusalem and Israel. Judah, for their idolatry, their sin, and other sins. But I'm just going to reread this from yesterday when we were on the seed. And that is verse 17 in the context of judgment. Jeremiah 33, verse 17. For thus saith the Lord David, the Lord, David shall never want or lack a man to set up on the throne of the house of Israel. He's never going to lack him. In other words, the seed of David, even though the throne might temporarily not be occupied, the seed continues of somebody who has a right to occupy it. He's never going to lack a man. And God says this sure again in review, verse 20. Thus saith the Lord, if ye can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, that there should be not day and night in their season. If you're able to change outer space and the movement of the earth revolving around the sun and Moon gravitating on his axis and all. If you're able to change that, the stars night and day, you know, man can't do that. But if you were able, then you'd have this chance. Verse 21. Then may also my covenant be broken with David. 
my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites to priest my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. The seed of David would continue in spite of national failure. God says, as sure as the laws of outer space, my covenant with that. And so, hundreds of silent years then go on. Israel's removed, they come back. The prophets end with Malachi. And you have another 400 plus years of no prophet at all. You now have time. You know, time can change a lot of things. And we're going to see from this prophecy in Jeremiah, which is about 590 B.C., uh, it's uh, almost 600 years before Christ. And you've got over a half a millennia that goes by, and there's nothing. I guess God's forgotten. <laughs> Time doesn't change it either. We're going to go to a scripture again I had you in yesterday. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Some 600 years later, this happens. The angel Gabriel appears to marry the virgin. Luke chapter 1. Here's what Gabriel says to Mary in verse 30. Luke 1 and verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. All of a sudden a virgin has a baby boy, and she is of the house of David, and then he's of the house of David. As we reminded you yesterday in Matthew 1.1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. If he's not the Son of David, close it. He has no legal claim, never mind his miracles and compassion. But he's legal. And, and time hasn't stopped it. After hundreds of years, the seed of David comes in the person of the Son of God and Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall set up on the throne of his father David. You say, as nice as that is, don't you know the whole story? He didn't come to a throne, did he? No throne of gold on his head, crown of gold, a crown of thorns. And Pilate said, what shall I then do with Jesus, which is called Christ or Messiah? Huh. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, they said, away, 27, 32, away with him, let him be crucified. As the hymn writer says, and so there he died, a king crucified for you and for me. He died and he was buried. He's dead. Now we have death. Time didn't stop it. He's come, but the one, the promised seed, is killed and put in a tomb. And now I take you to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Paul uh, preaching in a little Antiochian synagogue the gospel. You go to Acts, chapter 13. Again, I read part of this yesterday. I'm going to read a little more today. But here in Acts chapter 13, breaking in in the middle of his message here, of his message of salvation, Acts 13, looking at verse 25, for example, Acts 13 and verse 25. Thirteen twenty-five is not what I want. 34? No, I know what I want. I want thirty-four in a minute. Thirty-two. Twenty-five. No. Anyway, 22. what I what I want is twenty-two. But I, I, there was another verse I wanted, but it just escaped me. That's yeah, one of my nightmares at night when I dream. <laughs> I, I, I'm dreaming here. I tell a person a passage. And I can't find a passage. They're all there, and I'm going around. I can't find a verse, so the nightmare just came true. But uh, <laughs> wakes me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> But uh, anyway, here in Acts chapter 13, it is 22. There was another verse, and it might pop into my mind later. But in verse 22, And when he had removed him, that is Saul, you know, he took away his dynasty. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now watch verse 23. Of this man's seed... 
hath God, according to his promise, raised up unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. David see this here. But Paul will go on to admit he died and was buried. He'll go on to admit that. He won't run from it. So you go further here to verse 27. Verse 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired, they pilot, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. All right. Dead and buried. But, verse 30, God raised him from the dead. <laughs> death doesn't stop it. God raised him from the dead. Now look at verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings... Hath the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, dear children, and that he hath, set, he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. God raised up Jesus. So he says to his son here, on the basis of resurrection, look at verse 34, As concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he saith on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Oh, and they're still here. I'll give you, Christ will reign. The sure mercies of David aren't stopped even by death. God raised him from the dead. Nothing has stopped it. When God makes a covenant, nobody can break it, and God won't break it. When he makes a covenant like this, a one-party covenant. And so I will give you, based on the resurrected Christ, the sure mercies of David. He turns to his audience and he says this in verse 38. Based on Christ's death and resurrection, the sure mercies of David, verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. You, you can have forgiveness of sins. It's the sure mercies of David through Christ. Verse 39. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What the law couldn't do, you're declared righteous in God's eyes. I'll give you the sure mercies of David. Resurrection. Death doesn't stop it. Yes, he died, the king, but God raised him from the dead. In fact, your whole gospel is built on this. Paul reminds young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised again from the dead. He reminds him of this very truth here, the legal aspect of it. And when he explains the gospel in Romans, go to Romans 1, please. Romans chapter 1. At the end, I'll take your comments and questions. I'm just on a roll now. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. All right. It concerns a person, however, not a philosophy, a person. Verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. He's the seed of David. But by the Spirit, he's the Son of God, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So you have God and man here, but as man, he is the seed of David. So that when Paul speaks of this forgiveness without works... A gospel of mercy and grace. When he wants you to understand grace and mercy that is not based on your works, guess who he'll use as an example? David. He'll use David. And we're in chapter 4 now. Look at chapter 4 and verse 5. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. He uses Israel's greatest patriarch, Abraham, and uh, Israel's greatest monarch, David. And we're in chapter 4 and verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. To him that worketh not. Huh. See, I got I, I to get right, I got to do right. No, no. Your faith will be counted as righteousness. Not, not what you do. It's not the law. Verse 6. Even as David... Also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Imputed righteousness means puts on your account. It's an accounting term, impute. 
credits it to your ledger that you are righteous without works. David said, the blessing of the man whom God does that. What did David know about that? He was a dead man. But on another covenant called mercy, which overrode it because of the death of Christ, Romans 3 explained that. The remission of sins that are passed because of the blood of Christ. God was legal in doing that because he knew Christ would die. David was accounted forgiven and righteous. Huh. Right, without works. You say, I've got to do right to get right. No, it's without works. So David goes on to say in verse 7, he knew all about this, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He experienced that, never by law, but by mercy. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. It's the most attractive thing in this world. And God offers it to us when we come to Christ by faith. So the whole gospel is on this type of a foundation here. But some might say that's all very nice and all very true. But it did say he would reign, didn't it? And this world is a mess. And there's nobody in Jerusalem upon the throne of David. And wickedness is abounding. And there's no peace on earth nor goodwill to men. It's very nice he can save. But if I understood the promise right, he'll reign on the throne. So you now you have to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. The revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 5. Where the future is unveiled. You get to Revelation 5, please. As we continue progressively with the sure mercies of David. Revelation 5. Verse 1, Revelation 5 and verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within on the backside sealed with seven seals. So there's a seven-sealed book or scroll. If you study it in its context of Revelation, it is a deed. It is a legal document that who has the right to judge the sinners and to rule righteously for God? Who has a right to be king over all the earth and put down the sinners? You know, you have to be very arrogant to go out and judge other people when we have sinned. So who has a right to it? That seven-sealed book. Read the contents of the seal. Judging the nations and ruling for God with a rod of iron. That's what's in there. Okay, that, uh, and so, verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Who has a right to open it and say, I, This is me. I can do it. To loose the seals thereof and to bring these judgments and to bring himself to the throne. Who has a right? Who's worthy? Well, verse 3, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Dead, living, wherever you're at, uh, no man in heaven. There's nobody worthy. You know, he that ascends to the hill of God must have a pure heart, Psalm 24 says. That's a qualification for office. Who's running for president that has that qualification? You have a pure heart and clean hands. Uh, but that's a qualification for God's throne. Uh, and so John weeps. Look, look at verse, nobody's found worthy, verse 4. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open it and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Is the world going to stay under Satan forever, and evil triumphs, and the saints are put down, and there's no righteous rule for God after all, because no man is worthy. And there's just one place John forgot to look, and the elder points him to it. Verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah. The line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. There's somebody that is worthy. He's the line, uh, he's the, uh, line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's connected to David. A line symbolizes the king, doesn't it? But then as he looks, look where he sees this line in verse 6. And I beheld a lo in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, and sent forth into all the earth. Right in the middle of God's throne. You wouldn't expect to see a man there. In the middle of the throne, there's a man. <laughs> He's a lion, he's a lamb. As a lamb, he's our redeemer. As a lion, he's the reclaimer of the world. As a lamb, he's meek. As a lion, he's powerful. 
And he sees one that has been slain. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ. He's in the middle of the throne. And even though he's, in the, he's God and in the middle of God's throne, he happens to be a man, the root of David. <laughs> he has a legal right as a man to rule. Okay? He can cry no more. There is somebody, Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 7, the lamb line does this in verse 7. And when he had taken the book... Or verse 7. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Here the Lamb, the resurrected Christ in the middle of the throne. As a Lamb, he's the human. But he's also God. He's the root of David. In verse 9, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You've redeemed us by thy blood. You're worthy, legally worthy. Not only, not only the powerful one, but the purchaser. You've redeemed us by thy blood so that we have a legal right to reign too. Verse 10. And hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You've just been in a legal courtroom in heaven in chapter 5. You just saw legal procedure in heaven. It doesn't go by feeling or popular vote. It goes by legality. Who can open the book? The line of the tri tribe of Judah, the root of David. But he not only has a legal right, he owns it. He purchased us with his blood. He purchased men with his blood. And what you purchase, you own. You know, I, I, if I go out and start your car and take it, you say, it's not yours. You don't own it because what you purchase, you own. And, and so he's redeemed us by his blood. And we now are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ as a kingdom of priests. And we shall reign on the earth. This is our legal claim. He's going to reign and we're going to reign with him. Not because we just feel good, because we're legally connected to him. And so he does reign. And the whole revelation goes on to show the, the judgment of evil, antichrist, nations. And it's Christ orchestrating the seals from seal number one on. And then he comes back with a sword out of his mouth on a white horse and he smites the nations. And he rules for God. And he, he reigns a thousand years with his own. And then you get, after all that information, you get to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. This glorious Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And look how he signs off. 22.16 I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Huh. I, Jesus, I'm testifying to you these things in the churches. He just takes a low spot here. Huh. Lord of lords, King of kings, the lion. I, Jesus. First name basis here. Uh, now, believers never address him personally by the first name. They always give him a title. But he'll introduce himself as his first name. Uh, I, Jesus, testify to you in the churches these things. Is it really true? Is it legend? Is it fantasy? Is it fairy tale? Look what he says in verse 16. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. I am the root and offspring of David. It ends with David. Huh. You ever see a family tree? You ever see somebody who's the root and also the offspring? One of those branches at the top? Great, great, great granddaddy, he's down there at the root, but he's not up there at the, the here. I'm the root. He's the creator of David. <laughs> I'm the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. I'm legal. It's going to be true. It's absolutely true. The sure mercies of David. So God has formalized this, brothers and sisters, into a covenant known as the sure mercies of David, so that we might have confidence and steadfastness. And if we're not saved, why, I'll make you an everlasting covenant. Not just David. Based on the Lord Jesus, the sure mercies of David. And we will reign on the earth. These things are guaranteed. How do you know? I, Jesus, testify to you. I'm the root and offspring of David. That's all I have to say on that. There's much more in this. But these things are enough to carry you through for a while. Chew and meditate on what a What a Savior. What a gospel. Brothers, anything in closing? Just one question. Yes. Yeah. You know, you read along in Second Timothy two, and all of a sudden you come to a verse. Remember that Jesus Christ is the seed of David. What, what does that have to do with 
with you know and thought flowing. He's talking about you know being a good soldier and and so forth and and, and uh, taking away from the entanglements of life and all of a sudden he throws that in. Doesn't seem to have anything to do with thought flow, but here's my take on it. Might not be the best take. He's talking about affliction, soldier, you know, husbandman, all of this struggle and that. Is it worth it? Hey, remember, you're dealing with something real. Jesus Christ, the seed of David. I mean, this whole thing is guaranteed. Uh, it's taking you somewhere you can count on, Timothy. Do you ever get to a point you think, what's the use? Yeah, I've been there. Hey, Timothy, yeah, husbandman, affliction, soldier. You think it's worth it? It's guaranteed, David. Jesus Christ, the seed of David. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. <laughs> Maybe there's more. I, there's a hand somewhere over here. Is there a No, there is no... Yeah, that's one of them that don't have a symbol, Brother David. However, Israel has given it a symbol, but the Bible has it. The nation of Israel has the Star of David on their flag. That is Jewish tradition. It does have a symbol, but we can't verify that in the Scriptures. But humanly speaking, Israel now, their whole flag is the Star of David. And that's, you know, what it's based on. Although they don't believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a sign, but it's not a biblical sign. Noah's one had a rainbow. Abraham had circumcision. The old one had the Sabbath. The new one has the cup. And the only one of those five that there's no biblical sign that I could find is David's. But there is a traditional sign that the Jewish people are good to the Star of David. They wear it around here. It's on their national flag. And... So if you're okay with a non-biblical sign, there it is. It's about the lion and the lamb. Another one, yeah. Uh, you, you've seen that on many of the flags and the lion. And that one comes from the Bible. It's not called a sign, but there it is. One a purchaser, a redeemer. The other a reclaimer. Yeah. Anybody else? That might be a great way to witness to a Jew. You know, they wear the star of David. Yeah. Hey, you know anything about the sure mercies of David? That's right. It's in their old, it's, and it's in their Old Testament. <laughs> Man. Well, I trust you've been encouraged in this, and knowing the future will help you for today. I've done an awful lot of talking. If there's nobody left, maybe somebody could just make announcements and close in prayer, please. It's been nice to see you again. It really has been. Yeah. Okay. Think of uh, the line of the tribe of Judah who have prevailed uh, to uh, take the book and open it to you. But he's worthy because he was slain. Mm-hmm. And when we think about David in the Old Testament, and we see that uh, tremendous sin he, he committed. Mm-hmm. You know, Lord, you were able to impute yeah. righteousness on him because uh, his greater son would go and bear the curse of the law. Have become a curse, for cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And oh Lord, we also see that with a woman caught in adultery, how how your very son would not condemn her and said, Go and sin no more, for he himself would take her sin on his own body and nail it to the tree. And oh Lord, we could all claim the sure mercies of David, for as uh, for the line of the tribe of Judah has become the lamb which was slain and has taken my sin our sin, and nailed it to the tree and removed it out of the way so one day we will reign with him. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for these wonderful things to see in Scripture. Thank you so much for showing us your glory this weekend. And oh Lord, may we meditate on, on him, the, not only the seed, but the root of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.